Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hi, and thanks for joining me today. While it's still in the 90s here in Columbia, South Carolina, summer is winding down, and I know that fall is coming soon. For many, Labor Day marks the end of summer with a three-day weekend full of cookouts, parades, and one last lake of pool day. And while I'm sure we're all appreciative for the day off, I found myself wondering what this holiday is really about. And that's where our trip down the rabbit hole will start today. I wonder. 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 What do you think of when you think of Labor Day? End of summer? Yes. A holiday to give workers the time off or a day off that's federally recognized. Being busy at retail stores. Uh, I think of the time you get to take a break for, from labor, whether that's your office or your blue collar jobs, whatever, day off work. Because the other thing that I know about Labor Day is you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. Oh, that's man. an important fact. That's the day we stop wearing white. We all enjoy the festivities that come along with Labor Day, and we're going to get into some more specifics of the day itself. But before we can really get there, we have to dig down a little rabbit hole and talk a little more broadly about labor in the United States first. So first, let's talk about the Department of Labor. What is it, and what does it do? Um, I guess it's a federal department that regulates labor laws and works with unions. The Department of Labor is an institution that doesn't do anything. <laughs> do some things. Gerald, these would be difficult questions. Uh, the Department of Labor. I, I don't know. I don't think I could tell you. Uh, the Department of Labor, I believe, is a regulatory department that uh, handles, I would guess, situations uh, or handles just regulations as far as employment um, and labor. I think child labor uh, inquiries and things like that are perhaps handled under the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor is one of several departments that are part of the executive branch of the government. If you're a longtime listener, you may remember we loosely discussed the different departments back in Episode 6, Branches of the Government. If you're a new listener, feel free to go back and give it a listen. The U.S. Department of Labor's mission is to foster, promote, and develop the welfare of wage earners, job seekers, and retirees of the United States, improve working conditions, advance opportunities for profitable employment, and assure work-related benefits and rights. The head of the Department of Labor, or DOL, is the Secretary of Labor, a member of the Presidential Cabinet. The DOL is made up of more than two dozen agencies, offices, and bureaus, including the Wage and Hour Division, Office of the Inspector General, Employee Benefits Security Administration, Occupational and Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, and the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs and has the authorization to enforce and administer more than 180 federal laws and thousands of federal regulations. The DOL was preceded by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which was established in 1884 as part of the Department of the Interior. In 1888, the Bureau of Labor became an independent Department of Labor, but was not an executive department until 1903, when the Department of Commerce and Labor was established. The two entities were combined until 1913 when President William Howard Taft signed a bill establishing the Department of Labor as a cabinet-level department. The primary function of the DOL is to help ensure the welfare of American workers by enforcing and administering many federal laws, 
Perhaps one of the most notable is the Fair Labor Standards Act. So, what is the Fair Labor Standards Act? I don't know. I don't know precisely, but I suspect it probably has something to do with safety and pay as for, or equal, equal equality, pay, that sort of thing, like women, children, or women, minorities, that sort of thing. I would assume it's kind of like if you work a certain set of hours, you have to be given insurance and things like that, a set of rules for employment. I can say I've heard of it, but that's the extent. It doesn't have anything to do with, like, not, you know, making little kids work. Oh, it does? And it's, yes. do they also set, like, minimum wage stuff? So. The Fair Labor Standards Act, or FLSA, was drafted in 1932 by a U.S. senator from Alabama by the name of Hugo Black and dealt largely with workers' rights. Rights for workers, but I don't know specifically. Something that the Department of Labor should be far more expansive on. Workers' rights, I assume, are or have to do with uh, the rights of the employees when it comes to uh, treatment and um, perhaps uh, laws that impact whether or not an employee can be fired or whether they have the right to retribution for firing. Mm. Uh, I would say, like, um, making sure that they have a safe work environment, you know, um, equal, you know, fair or equal fair pay, pay for the work that they're doing. Um, I, I, I don't know. It breaks can't every, be discriminated like, against. Making sure they're getting enough uh, breaks, yeah. breaks throughout the day, depending on how many hours, hours they're, they're working. working. Yeah. Senator Black's initial proposal required employers to adopt a 30-hour work week and was heavily resisted. It wasn't until 1938 that a revised version of Black's proposal was passed. The revisions adopted 8-hour workdays and 40-hour work weeks. It established a minimum wage. You're abysmal. It's like seven seventy-five or something. It's what you're. It's what the minimum they have to pay you to be employed. Uh, the minimum amount a business is allowed to pay their employees set by federal government and as well some state governments. Yeah, I have no idea what it is now. What's the concept? Oh, uh, well, you can't that you can't be paid below that particular amount um, when yeah. you're a full-time employee. I want to say it's like $15 dollars. I believe the current minimum wage is 7.25 an hour and minimum wage was a standard set by law by the federal government for which uh, employees uh, could not be paid less than that unless there was other compensation such as tips or commission. And overtime pay. It also introduced laws regulating minor children in the workplace. Upon passage, 700,000 workers received pay increases as a result of the new law. Since its initial passage, the FLSA has been amended several times. 22 times it's been amended to increase the federal minimum wage from the 25 cents that was established in 1938 to the 7.25 rate that is currently in force. Amendments were passed to include more workers. For example, initially, retail workers were excluded from minimum wage laws. The 1963 Equal Pay Act amended the FLSA to make it illegal to pay lower wages to a worker strictly on the basis of sex. 1967 saw another amendment with the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, prohibiting employers from discriminating against workers 40 years of age and older. I'm trying to decide how offended I am at learning that I'm protected by this act. 
As I mentioned, one of the big items to come out of Senator Black's bill was the 40-hour work week, or 8-hour day. And while it seems pretty evident what it probably is by the name, what exactly is the 40-hour work week? A standard work week? Standard, standard work week? Yeah. I guess it's decently standard. Say so yeah, a standard full-time work week in the United States. Exactly that. <laughs> uh, you work... Um, or eight-hour day. Yeah. It's an eight-hour day throughout five days a week. Uh, 48, uh, 40-hour work week is sort of the standard for in the United States uh, as far as the number of hours that are expected in return for either a salaried or non-salaried employee, but a full-time full-time job. Okay, so this one actually had me rabbit-holing more than I thought I would, given everything I'd learned up to this point. So enjoy this small tangent with me. First, I found an NPR piece with the host and reporter for Planet Money, Alexi Horowitz-Ghazi, and a historian and professor at the University of Iowa, Benjamin Honeycutt, in which they discussed the 40-hour work week. In this piece, which I'll link on the website, the two discuss how the human history of work can be loosely summed up into three parts. The first part being from hunting and gathering to farming, when humans worked basically only as much as they needed to survive, which was far less than 40 hours a week, according to anthropologists. The second part came about during the Industrial Revolution. Factories often ran six or seven days a week from dawn till dusk, and it was not uncommon for American workers to work 70 or more hours, and this is referred to as peak work. Peak work gave birth to strikes and protest for shorter work weeks. The first demand of organized labor was 10 hours, the 10-hour movement, and they they made a concerted effort and were successful to a certain extent to obtain the 10-hour day. The 10-hour days, or 60-hour weeks, were fairly standard for most of the U.S. workers by the late 19th century. Then the third part comes into play, scientific management of labor. This is when businesses began studying how to increase worker productivity and learned that even a 10-hour day may be too long. People who were working 10 hours, surprise, surprise, got tired. After eight hours, the worker is, is not as productive, especially on you know, a high-speed assembly line. The piece goes on to discuss Henry Ford adopting eight-hour shifts in his factories in 1920s and John Maynard Keynes' 1930 prediction that by 2030, three-hour days or 15-hour weeks may be in store for all of us. I draw the conclusion that assuming no important wars and no important increase in population, the economic problem may be solved or at least be within sight of solution within a 100 years. This means the economic problem is not, if we look into the future, the permanent problem of the human race. Thus, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to use his freedom from pressing economic cares, how to occupy the leisure which science and compound interest will have won for him, to live wisely and agreeably and well. For many ages to come, the old Adam will be so strong in us that everybody will need to do some work if he is to be contented. We shall do more things for ourselves than is usual with the rich today, only too glad to have some small duties and tasks and routines. But beyond this, we shall endeavor to spread the bread thin on the butter, to make what work there is still to be done to be as widely shared as possible. Three-hour shifts or a 15-hour week may put off the problem for a great while, for three hours a day is quite enough to satisfy the old Adam in most of us. Obviously, we don't appear to be on the cusp of a 15-hour work week, 
but most workers are also decidedly not working 60-hour weeks. So I continued to tumble down this rabbit hole, and then I went backwards in time, historically speaking. While the 8-hour day and 40-hour week movement are modern social movements, the 8-hour workday actually has its origins in 16th century Spain. In the 1590s, Philip II of Spain established an 8-hour workday by a royal edict known as the Ordinance of Philip II. The edict set forth that all workers will work 8 hours a day, 4 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, in fortifications and factories, which the hours are to be made, distributed at the most convenient times to get rid of the rigor of the sun, and more or less what seemed to be right to the engineers, that not missing a point of the possible work. It is also attended to assure their health and conservation. And while Philip may have been ahead of his time, for most of the world, the Industrial Revolution brought with it long days and hard work. In the United States, these working conditions would see the rise of labor unions, strikes, and a demand for workers' rights. And one of the primary demands was for shorter days. So we're well on our way to Labor Day, but first, we have to talk about the unions and the strikes. What is a labor union? A labor union is where the group of people get together and establish rules for the people who work in that field. It would be a, like a group of workers in the, a similar field that... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess a group of workers in a like field and they nominate representatives and those representatives work probably with the labor department to set standards for workplaces and what they're allowed to do and wage negotiations and things like that. A labor union is a consortium of individuals that form a group that represent a group of employees to uh, a company or a group of companies that negotiate uh, in favor of those employees in return the employees pay dues to the labor unions so that the unions will represent them in communication and talks and and you know uh, benefits and that sort of thing uh, uh, okay it's um, a group of people that pay in to uh, pay fees in order to um, band together in order to <laughs> uh, make sure that they have equal pay. I, yes, I'm going to go with that <laughs> and equal say pay so. Or, or, I, I think the yeah. idea, you know, many years ago was that it workers so it made sure they weren't being overworked and made sure they were getting Thank you. paid the same amount like and it may you know so it, the the union protects the people that pay union dues and for fair I guess fair labor practices stuff. That's such a better idea. The first union was established in 1794 by shoemakers in Philadelphia. The Federal Society of Journeymen Cordwainers was a collection of leather workers and cobblers who came together in an effort to secure stable wages. There's actually an entirely different rabbit hole I fell down on this one regarding criminal conspiracy, management organizations, and the lawsuit called Commonwealth versus Polis. It took me too far off course to really get into here, but I'm linking more information on the website in case you're interested in a solo rabbit hole adventure. Several similar local organizations popped up in the 1800s, but the National Labor Union, NLU, was the first national labor federation in the U.S., It was founded in 1866 and dissolved in 1873. 
It was the predecessor for organizations such as the Knights of Labor and the American Federation of Labor. Led by William Silvis and Andrew Cameron, the NLU followed the unsuccessful efforts of other labor activists to form a national coalition of local trade unions. Silvis and Cameron instead sought to bring together all of the national labor organizations in existence to create a national federation that could press for labor reform. The purpose of a labor union is to engage in collective bargaining with an employer to protect workers' economic status and working conditions. The aim is to ensure fair wages, benefits, and working conditions for all union members. Union contracts specify workers' pay, hours, benefits, as well as job health and safety policies. In 2021, around 10% of the working population, or 14 million workers in the United States, were members of a labor union, the largest of which is the National Education Association for Education Professionals, such as teachers. One of the most common actions workers have historically used to pressure employers to meet their demands, whether unionized or not, is called a strike. But what exactly is a strike? No work. Refusal to work. Because usually, I guess, brought on because they want more pay or they feel like some right has been, yeah, uh, you know, some right of theirs has been infringed on. So they strike no work until whatever's corrected. Strike is when a employee or a group of employees uh, that are demanding something out of their employer uh, stop work in order to leverage the employer uh, for whatever it is that they are asking for. A strike is when um, everybody at a certain job is not happy with the conditions or pay and they refuse to work until their conditions are met. Mm, A strike is when a group of people will stop, in reversing labor, will stop performing their jobs or their tasks until specific demands are met or issues are brought to the table. Broadly, a strike is when a group of employees stop working in an attempt to affect change in the workplace. Employees may strike for a variety of reasons, but most often it is for higher wages, safer working conditions, and better benefits. Strikes are a powerful tool for workers as halting production can both impact a company's bottom line as well as draw public attention. And what's more is to some degree, striking is a legally protected action offering some job protections to workers on strike due to Sections 7 and 13 of the National Labor Relations Act. While the law is clear that employees shall have the right to engage in other concerted activities, including strikes, for the purpose of collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protection, it also places certain restrictions on that right. There are lawful and unlawful strikes. According to the National Labor Relations Board, the lawfulness of a strike may depend on the object or purpose of the strike, on its timing, or on the conduct of the strikers. Strikers for a lawful object fall into two classes, economic strikers and unfair labor practice strikers. The first strikes to obtain an economic concession, such as higher wages, shorter hours, or better working conditions. These strikers retain their status as employees and cannot be discharged, but they can be replaced. On the other hand, unfair labor practice strikers cannot be discharged nor permanently replaced. When the strike ends, assuming no serious misconduct on their part, these workers are entitled to get their jobs back. In 2022, the majority of strikes lasted fewer than five days, with only about a third lasting longer than that. By comparison, in 1979, the average strike was 32 days, and half of all strikes lasted more than 16. 
It was a strike, in fact, that is at least in part responsible for the act that made Labor Day a legal federal holiday. What do you know about the Pullman strike in 1894? Nothing, only that it probably took place in 1894. I don't know anything about the Pullman strike of 1884. 94. 94. Is it uh, related to railroad? It is. <gasps> That's about all I know. Pullman Company was a manufacturer of railroad cars in the mid-19th century through the mid-20th century. During an economic downturn referred to as the Panic of 1893, the Pullman Company resorted to laying off many workers and reducing the wages of its remaining workers by around 25%. While such a drastic reduction in wages would already be difficult for the employees, Nearly all of them lived in a company-owned town of Pullman, just outside of Chicago. The Pullman Company did nothing to lower rent or utility rates or prices at the company's store to correspond to the reduced wages. There was no union at the Pullman Company, but several workers filed complaints with George Pullman, the company owner. Pullman refused to reconsider and terminated the employees who protested. The result was a wildcat strike of his nearly 4,000 remaining workers. While the workers were not unionized at the start of the strike, Eugene V. Debs, founder of the American Railway Union, ARU, went to Pullman and signed up many of the disgruntled workers. Pullman Company refused to recognize the ARU or take part in any negotiations. The ARU called for an unsuccessful strike on the factory. Debs then decided to stop the movement of Pullman cars on the railroads. The rail employees for Pullman, such as the porters and conductors, did not go on strike, and the ARU called for a massive boycott against all trains carrying Pullman cars. The effects of this boycott were felt across nearly every rail line past Detroit and over 250,000 workers in 27 states. Unfortunately, despite repeated calls from Debs and the ARU for peaceful proceedings, the situation turned violent as hostilities rose and strike breakers, replacement workers who would cross the picket lines and work, were brought in. As tensions rose and railways were halted, including ones carrying U.S. mail, the federal government became involved and sent in the military. All in all, these violent outbreaks were responsible for several deaths and many more injuries. Ultimately, criminal charges were brought against many of the workers, as well as against the ARU and Debs. In an effort to conciliate organized laborers after the strike, President Grover Cleveland and Congress designated Labor Day as a federal holiday six days after the strike ended. So Labor Day would now be recognized as a federal holiday. But what is Labor Day? Uh, Labor Day is a federal holiday that was put forth by federal government as uh, or recognized just a day for day off. Labor Day is your day off work. Uh, a holiday in September that I suppose is meant to honor the workers in the country. A break from labor. <laughs> Maybe a recognition of um, those who labor. Those who labor. <laughs> <laughs> a recognition of those who labor is my favorite thing. Labor Day is intended to be a day off for laborers to recognize them for their hard work all year round. While Labor Day, a holiday for working men, wasn't recognized as a federal holiday until after President Cleveland signed it into law on June 28, 1894, it certainly wasn't a novel idea. In fact, by the time it was made a federal holiday, there were already 30 states that officially celebrated Labor Day. But when was it first observed? Uh, I wouldn't know. Oh, I have no idea. Probably the 60s, maybe maybe earlier than that. But After the Pullman strike. Right, so 18, after 1849. <laughs> 94. 94. 
Amidst a backdrop of long hours and physically demanding jobs with low wages, American workers held a one-day strike in the first Labor Day parade in New York City on September 5, 1882. Roughly 10,000 workers marched in the parade, many of whom were risking their own employment since Labor Day wasn't an official holiday. They held signs calling for less work and more pay, eight-hour workdays, and the prohibition of convict labor, among other things. Who gets credit for the concept of Labor Day is up for debate. Some places credit Peter McGuire, vice president of the American Federation of Labor, for the idea. Others credit someone with a very similar last name, Matthew McGuire, secretary of the Central Labor Union, with the idea. Regardless of whether it was McGuire or McGuire, it is easily evident that the working folk needed this day of recognition for their tireless efforts to push America's economy forward. Oregon was the first state to make Labor Day an official public holiday in 1887, and several other states followed suit in short order. When President Cleveland made Labor Day a federal holiday in 1894, technically it only applied to federal employees. Unions were encouraging workers to strike for the day off as late as the 1930s, and subsequently, all United States states and the District of Columbia and U.S. territories have made Labor Day a statutory holiday. So every state and the federal government recognizes Labor Day as a holiday. When is it observed? It is observed on the first Monday of September. No, the first Monday after the... No, it's just the first Monday after September. Uh, first Monday of September. Mm, Monday in September. First Monday, I think. It is observed on September the 4th. The first Monday in September. Soon, what? A couple and a few and a week? Like the what the is first, first Monday? Friday in September? First Friday in September? It's before or after a weekend. It's one of those days. Before or after a weekend. off on Monday. It's this. It's Monday, Monday. Okay, so it's it's, it's the Monday. first Monday in September. <laughs> it's either a Monday or Friday in September at some time, and it just so happens to be this Monday. I know that it happens to be the first, the first. I had no Monday idea we were space. off on Monday. <laughs> you said you're off. I thought you were just taking it off. Labor Day is observed on the first Monday in September. The date was supposedly suggested by Peter McGuire as an ideal date between the public holidays of the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. It is reported that McGuire had visited Toronto, Canada in May while a similar celebration of laborers was occurring. He returned to New York and made the proposition to the Central Labor Union in New York City that a day should be set aside for laboring classes and offer suggestions on how it should be celebrated. Uh, by doing nothing in parades. Um, some businesses have the day off for their employees and then... The businesses that don't have a lot of people flocking into them to make those other employees work harder. Uh, uh, what is it? What did you say about reckon? We don't have to labor that right, day. right. <laughs> I mean, I guess generally with like fireworks and no laboring for the day, you know, no laboring. Okay. Well, if you're if the company you work for recognizes it, then you potentially get a paid day off. But you mean, how do people observe it? Mm -hmm. uh, it's typically recognized as the end of summer, so a lot of people will have cookouts and barbecues, and they'll, or they'll go to the beach or the lake, or they'll celebrate it with family and friends. Uh, college football usually has a, a big Monday night college football game. He said the day should be marked with a street parade as a public demonstration of organized labor's solidarity and strength. He also suggested that the march should culminate in a picnic with the workers enjoying a leisurely afternoon away from work while being recognized for all that they do. 
Originally, however, there was some consideration into making Labor Day May 1st, a day referred to as May Day, to coincide with a one-day coordinated strike by the AFL in 1886 in an effort to obtain an eight-hour workday. The date's proximity to the Haymarket Affair, also called the Haymarket Massacre or Haymarket Riot, ultimately made officials concerned that a celebration of labor so close to the anniversary of the labor demonstration that resulted in the deaths of seven officers and four civilians on May 4, 1886, would cause the holiday to be too politically charged. It was decided that the first Monday in September would be officially recognized as the holiday. We have learned that the U.S. recognizes Labor Day as a federal holiday, and all U.S. states recognize it as a state holiday. But do other countries have Labor Day? Yes. I'm going to say yes. I know there's a few other ones that do. Maybe like UK, Canada, definitely not all countries. Um, maybe some. I assume that other countries probably, there, there are other countries that have Labor Day. While it's not a federally recognized holiday in the United States, May Day, also known as International Workers' Day or Labor Day with a U, is a holiday intended to recognize laborers in the working class throughout the world, from Africa to Europe to Asia to the Americas and beyond. So what is May Day then? May Day is what pilots yell into their radios before they crash. I don't know, but May Day Parade's a band. <laughs> and May Day is also when like a plane is crashing. Oh, that's help. <laughs> you know what that that's means. Assistance uh, needed immediately. Um, I mean, I know that this is probably totally unrelated, but they they used to be back in my parents' day. My mom was the May Day queen because they had a festival and a whole nine yards related to it. But like, what was the concept behind that other than it's May and it's spring and I don't know. Working class demands for an eight hour workday were not unique to the United States. In fact, it was stonemasons in Australia in 1856 who started the first mass stoppage of work in an effort to fight for an eight hour workday. It became a yearly commemoration, and that is what inspired Americans to have their first stoppage on May 1st, 1886. It is thought that May 1st ended up being the official day in direct response to the Haymarket Affair in Chicago in 1886. The awful event, which I referenced a moment ago, was on May 4th in Chicago. Police had been called to disperse a public assembly in support of the strike when an unidentified person threw a bomb. The police responded with fire on the workers and the ultimate outcome was the deaths of seven officers and four civilians, as well as injuries to 60 officers and 115 civilians. Hundreds of labor leaders and sympathizers were later rounded up, and four were executed by hanging. The next day in Milwaukee, the state militia fired on a crowd of strikers, killing seven, including a schoolboy and a man feeding chickens in his yard. It was with these atrocities in mind that Raymond Levine proposed international demonstrations to occur on the 1890 anniversary of the Chicago protest. May 1, 1890, May Day demonstrations occurred in the United States, throughout Europe, in Chile, and Peru. The following year, the Second International, an organization of socialist and labor parties, formally recognized May Day as an annual event. The day throughout history is marked by both peaceful protest and labor riots. I was definitely surprised to learn the darker history behind Labor Day. I'm appreciative for my extra day off and the long weekend, but this year I'll certainly keep in mind the efforts of all the people who came before us on behalf of laborers everywhere. What are you doing this Labor Day? Nothing. We're going to grill brats. I will probably be working. Because your company is an impressive company? 
no, I'll probably be working because my podcast is an oppressive podcast. <laughs> Sleeping because my child won't let me. I mean, I don't. I don't think we never like got together and had some big Labor Day mm-hmm. thing. I think we all just didn't labor that day, and <laughs> this is a good. That was about it. Celebrate. Something. Sleep in. Sleep late. Yeah. I guess would be yeah. celebration. I don't. I have so I have no plans. Do you celebrate? I mean, do you do anything? I know we're not supposed to ask you the questions. I was curious. Um. I'll probably take, so we do like a cookout. Ah, so like a cookout. Yeah, but like around, there'll be Labor Day parades, and people have Labor Day festivals. Oh, a parade. Yeah, parades. <laughs> Dog on it. We missed that big time. We're so good after the there fact. Are, um, we come up with all the good answers right. after. We're going to be they thinking about this Labor Day sales. Yeah. Why didn't you prep us <laughs> so that we're not like, no labor that day? <laughs> It's just sitting for eight minutes saying, don't labor. That's basically what it's a non-laboring day. That's basically all you're going to have there without, without any prep work. Whether you're taking the day off to recharge or attending a parade and picnic like the originators intended, I hope that you have a wonderful Labor Day. Thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, be safe, be kind, and stay curious. The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Ami Bland and is part of Big Media. This podcast is recorded at the podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Lexington, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland the podcast and on X, the app formerly known as Twitter, at Wonderland underscore pod. Check out behind the scenes moments and other videos on TikTok at Wonderland Pod. And finally, check out pictures, additional information, and go further down the rabbit hole on our website at www.wtwlpod.com. To submit corrections, additional information, or request for episodes, please email the host at welcome to Wonderland the pod at gmail.com. You guys make it to the end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023. All rights reserved.